Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today, our guest is Daniel Templin. And he is a real estate investor and entrepreneur who has experience in house flipping and various business ventures. He started with a successful dive bar, then ventured into house flipping, where he took those proceeds and grew his real estate portfolio to seven Airbnbs, multifamily rentals, and commercial spaces, to name a few. So Daniel, thank you so much for being here on the show. Welcome, and how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. So Dan, can you share a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Yeah, sure. So my wife and I met in college, and the first real estate that we ever did, we actually bought a foreclosure for it was like ten dollars or $15,000, and uh, with the help of family and friends, renovated that. And when she graduated college, we sold that house and um, we used that seed money to actually buy our first business. So that was our first venture in real estate. And after we bought our business, we uh, probably went for about four or five years before we did anything else in real estate. And the first thing that we did was start opening Airbnbs. We knew we always wanted to get back to real estate. And we were really struggling with, you know, what's the best approach to do that? And we considered small multifamily, which we did as well, but the Airbnbs was kind of our sweet spot. So when you were looking at all the different avenues to get into real estate back during that time, what was your process to figuring out that you wanted to start or relaunch back into Airbnbs? So the process to do that was, I'm always a believer in going and finding someone who's done it before and learning how to do it instead of, you know, struggling your way through it. So we actually took a course on how to start Airbnbs, um, which they seem to be everywhere now, but there weren't too many courses back when we started our first one. And we took that training and we did exactly what it did, um, said to do and, you know, changed it along the way to meet our needs. But it really made a huge difference for us to be able to have kind of a blueprint to go by. So you guys had bought um, your first foreclosure property when you guys were still in college and then used those money to purchase your first business, which was the bar. Yes. Yep. And then grew the bar, took the proceeds, then went into Airbnb first. Yes. Yep. Okay. So when you went into Airbnb, and at the same time, you were still running the business, um, the bar business, and then running real estate on the side. That is correct. We were um, actively still managing. We still have the restaurant to this day. Um, we have a great general manager in place. So that's um, basically one 30-minute meeting a week now. But when we first started, yes, we were running the restaurant full-time, which was like 80 hours a week. And then we uh, on top of that, uh, until we got to, I think it was four or five units, um, we were managing both things 100% by ourselves. So especially because running a restaurant takes a lot of time and energy, and you need to be physically present there also. How are you able to structure your time and find time to do real estate to run an Airbnb business as well? 
Sure. So uh, before we had kids, my wife and I would share a lot of responsibilities in the business. Um, And one of the things that I wanted to focus on right from the get-go, and I actually wrote a little ebook on this, um, it's about automating guest communications in Airbnb, because that can be, having Airbnbs is not a passive investment whatsoever. You have to actively manage it, but you can take a ton of the work out by automating it. And in my little booklet, it says exactly what we do to automate the entire guest experience from the very first message when someone books to the very last message asking for a review after they leave. So there's a lot of things you can do like that in automating locks and codes and um, making sure that you have a really good team in place. That's what I've found through the years. The most important thing you can do as a business owner is to invest heavily into finding a good team and keeping them. So you took something that is very active and tried to make it more automated, systemized as much as possible so you can be more efficient with your time and focus it on other things instead of just working in the business all the time. 100% working on the business instead of in the business is probably one of the biggest lessons that I learned. And that is really what helped us be able to scale. So when looking at the systems and processes, especially with the Airbnbs, what were the first things that you needed to set up? And what were some of the tools that you had utilized that really helped to automate that process? I I know you mentioned communication as being one of them, Mm -hmm. um, but what were some of the other tools that had helped really uh, solidify that systems and processes that you set in place? Sure. So let's start with software and some hardware that's super helpful. Um, we use August Locks, which was bought by Yale. And so you can buy Yale or August Locks now, and they can all work in tandem. And those actually hook directly to Airbnb. So when I have a guest book, say they check in on the 10th at four o'clock and they check out on the 11th at 11 a.m., it immediately sends them a code. It immediately programs that code for their time slot. So if they're trying to open the door, you know, three hours early, or if they want to go back in after their reservation, they're not going to be able to. And a lot of hosts who try to do that themselves, that is a huge time commitment. And it's also a liability as well, because you have to ensure you can't just give out codes randomly to guests, because if a guest is confused or if they have some type of poor intent, they could go and they could rob someone else. So not only is it a time saver, but it's also a security measure. Um, So I highly recommend getting August or Yale locks that interface automatically with Airbnb. And on top of that, you can use a property management software. Personally, I like Hospitable. They do a great job of having triggers so that you have automatic messages that go out to their guests and kind of hold their hand through the whole process. Um, On Airbnb, I believe it's 48 hours before check-in. If you use Airbnb's native check-in instructions, um, the check-in instructions become available to the guest. So at 47 hours before the reservation, you can have an automated message that said, hey, go and check this out. And another great automation tool is Price Labs, which integrates with hospitable and you can use price labs to automatically set your prices and it has access to back-end information from hotels and from other listings in your area and a great example of that would be if you didn't automate it 
you would have to know every time that there was a major event in your town. Maybe there's a big concert, maybe there's some large town festival or something like that. And so you have to forecast out like, okay, we might be really busy this weekend. Uh, Six months from now, maybe I should raise the prices a little bit. And what Price Labs does is it automatically does that for you based on consumer behavior. So if it sees that hotels are booking up nine months from now, it's going to be like, wait, there's something going on here. We should up the price. And then it can also see the prices that the hotels normally charge versus what they're charging for them or for that specific time frame. So there's just so many ways that you spend time as a host, making sure that you run your Airbnb as profitably as possible, that you can totally hand off to software and hardware. So all these tools that you have in place, are they integrated onto the Airbnb platform or do you have to individually go into each of these different tools and systems and manage it separately? So when you set up, it's kind of both actually. So I'll explain. For August, when you set up a lock, it's one and done. Then you don't have to touch it again unless a. Um, the only reason you'd have to go into the app is if maybe you had a guest that said, Hey, if I could get an hour early, that would be really great. So then you would have to go into the app and actually change the timestamp on their on their reservation in the August app so that instead of getting in at four o'clock, they could use their code at three o'clock and it would work. But 95% of the time, you don't have to touch a reservation in the August app. And then Hospitable actually acts as a channel manager, which means that you can list on Verbo, you can list on Airbnb, and then you only have to send messages for each property through Hospitable, and it will push to each of the different channels. So it takes um, two listings that are for the same property and turns it into one listing in Hospitable and then pushes all the information down, and it automatically also blocks your reservations in the other uh, platform. So if on Airbnb you had a reservation, you know, for December 10th through December 13th, automatically it would go in and it would block it out on any other channel that you have it listed on. So you don't have to do that manually. That's another huge time suck that a lot of hosts have to go through and manually do. So you also talked about setting the team in place. What are the team members that have been most essential, especially to running an Airbnb business? And then um the kind of goes hand in hand with that is, you know, the turnaround time after one guest checks out and another guest checks in, you know, what's that process look like and how does the team help with that piece of it? Sure. So um, this actually kicks back to hospitable as well, because as soon as you get a reservation, well, as soon as we do, it sends a text message to the respective cleaning crew for that respective property. And We have a very tight turnaround at most of our properties. We have people out at um, 11 a.m. and then the next guest can check in at four. And very rarely do we have to go and block a night um, availability wise. Whereas I know a lot of hosts will have like a three day minimum so that, you know, their cleaners don't get in a pinch or something like that. But I very strongly believe in not overloading your cleaners and making it manageable so that you can have a quick turnaround and that you're not stressing your team out. And our team consists, it's different at different properties because, you know, if you get a lot of snowfall, you need someone that can shovel when snow is falling because you don't want someone to slip and fall. Right. But 
You also need a landscape crew. You need cleaners. You need a handyman. Um, and those, if you have one or two Airbnbs, maybe you're doing everything yourself, especially if you're trying to leave, you know, a classic W-2 job because you want to keep as much money as possible. But once you get over, say, three or four, you're not going to be able to do everything by yourself and you have to start building a team. And you can pick and choose like, okay, maybe I'll stop doing cleanings, but I'll still do the maintenance requests. Um, So it's really what people are comfortable with and where they're at in their scaling. Where's the best place that you found to be able to find the best team members? Normally, personal referrals is where I have the best luck. Um, There are a couple software platforms out there specifically for short-term rental hosts. And we have found some people through those, and we've had some bad experiences through those too. But it really is, you have to have somebody that's local and you have to have somebody that you can trust because you don't want to have to go in every single time that you have a reservation and check your locks to make sure that the cleaner is actually there and that it's going to be a clean and perfect unit for when your guests arrive, because that's just a nightmare. You have to make sure that you can trust your cleaning crew. They're the backbone of your business. Let's say you have a negative experience with one of your team members. Let's just take a cleaning crew, for example. And then now you want to switch over and you found a referral for a new cleaning crew. What's the process to onboard the new cleaning crew to make sure that what you need to get done within that unit is going to be completed. Is there like some type of communication that goes out to the cleaners, uh, some systems and processes or like a checklist or something like that that goes out to them? So every property has its own checklist. um, And that's because every property is unique, obviously. So depending on how many beds, how many baths there are, we have specific instructions on exactly how many tiles are supposed to be, how many, um, Pillows are supposed to be on each bed, how many backup sheets in the linen closet, and I mean, even down to how many pieces or how many rolls of toilet paper should be in the unit. Um, And it's all very property specific. And as far as the scheduling, it's all automated through Hospitable. And so as soon as there's a booking, it sends a text message to the cleaners for that respective property, tells them when the cleaning is. And the day before, it sends a reminder, hey, they're going to check out in 24 hours. And then an hour before um, they check out, the cleaner gets another notification saying, hey, one hour until they check out. So are you managing the entire process on your own or do you also have a property manager for your Airbnbs to help with the management as well? Sure. So I want to say about a year ago, we switched over to um, a manager that does five of our seven Airbnbs, and I still personally manage two of them. And the reason for that is that I teach people how to do Airbnb, and I teach people how to use Hospitable. And I want to make sure that, I don't know if you've ever been on Airbnb um, a lot. I don't know if you have, are you a host? No, I'm not a host, but I've used Airbnbs. (laughs) Okay. Um, It changes a lot and the layout changes. There's new features all the time. And so I want to make sure that I'm on top of it and that I also can keep an eye on trends on what's going on. So I also enjoy hosting a lot. I like the property that I still host is a one of the duplexes that we own. And it's literally like a five minute drive from me. It's a beautiful old Victorian home in downtown Kalamazoo. And um we get a lot of really cool guests and a lot of great experiences. So 
especially in the Airbnb market, you know, there's a lot of competition nowadays. What are some of the things that really, uh, especially in the listings wise and what you offer for your units and your properties, what makes it stand out or what differentiates a potential renter to choose your Airbnb versus another one similar? Sure. So the number one thing that I always tell my students is that you have to get professional photography done with a real estate photographer. It's absolutely imperative. Um, When people are looking through Airbnb, it doesn't matter how nice your property is. If you take pictures with your phone, it's not going to book nearly as well as a property with professional photos. So that's always my number one non-negotiable. There's other things that you can do as well we have a huge um, returning guest rate, which means that the guests that are coming back have stayed with us before. And that makes it so that you can have a little bit higher per night stay or cost because you have that baseline of returning guests. And the only way you can do that is by giving people an amazing experience. And I don't mean that you have to like welcome welcome them with champagne, but they need to have a flawless experience. They need to have extremely clean units. They need to have what they need. They need to have enough towels. They need to have, you know, well-stocked units that makes it comfortable for them to be there. Basically what I teach is the best way you can be competitive in Airbnb isn't a fancy trick or anything like that. It's by literally doing a good job for your guests. And so then Dan, from going to Airbnbs into getting into like other multifamily rentals, other aspects and um, asset classes within real estate, how did you start making that transition like from Airbnbs to doing other things? Sure. So I always believe in having a, you know, well-balanced portfolio. And I think Airbnbs are the most fun properties that we have, but we also do have single family homes that we rent to long-term tenants. We have multifamily. We have a five, a two-plex, another two-plex. Um, we have a little bit of commercial space. And it's interesting to see how different real estate plays out. Um, and we also do some hybrid Airbnb. So like the duplex downtown that we have, we only have that on Airbnb now. We don't have any long-term renters in there. And so you can kind of mix different types of real estate, which is something that I never really considered before, but that's something that I highly recommend now, especially with the new down payment requirements for um, small multifamily. So four and below units, you can buy those, you know, with government backed loans with very small money out of pocket. And you can live in one of the units and then you could rent the other three out in Airbnb. And that would be way more profitable than just putting them up as regular rentals. So Daniel, for you, what's next? That's a great question. So we're looking actively for a vacation property for my family and I that we can also put on Airbnb. Everything we've done so far has been pretty localized to us and they're more traveling properties. And so we want to pick up a vacation property that would be a fun destination for us to go to while also still being able to make money on. And how has real estate investing impacted your life, Dan? Uh, real estate investing has had a huge impact on my life. It gives me a lifestyle that I wouldn't be able to have, you know, working a normal W-2 job. And it lets me spend time with my kids and watch them grow. They're both young. And so these are really important years for me. And I'm very happy with how my career has turned out. And if there was one thing you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? 
I mean, if I could predict the market, like looking back, that would be amazing. Um, honestly, I would say that instead of starting in a business that I wish I would have started um, as a realtor, or at least by starting with Airbnbs instead of starting a restaurant, just because the lifestyle is so much more family friendly. With a restaurant, you know, you're tied up 70, 80 hours a week, all nights, all weekends. And if I could go back and tell myself, hey, like you didn't have to do that for six years, that would have been helpful. <laughs> and what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? I want to answer that specifically, I think, to um, everyone that says there's like an Airbnb bubble right now. Um, there's people who do things and they don't take it seriously and they don't put their full effort into it. And I think those are the people who now it was like free money for a while because everyone was traveling. Everyone was starting Airbnb and like their the money was just flowing like crazy. But things haven't really changed in any of my units because like I said, we have a large um, return rate for our guests and we always make sure that our guests have a great experience. And so I think that just making sure that you're serious about giving it a great experience or that you're taking your investing seriously and that you're giving it the respect that it deserves is the most important thing. So Dan, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? Sure. Uh, they can find me on Instagram at the businessman Dan, or they can also go to my website, thebusinessmandan.com. Awesome. Dan, thank you so much for all your time today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavis Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, Check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavistcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.